Welcome to Impactful Conversation. Today we are hosting the first episode of a series of podcasts where we're going to interview different contractors and end users on different subjects related to telecommunications. My name is Daniel Manoy and I'll be hosting today's podcast. I'm a technical sales representative at Impact Technical Products. We are a manufacturer representative agency focusing on solutions for telecommunication infrastructure, specifically for harsh environments and critical networks. We are the official representative of Guardian Telecom, Fug Networks, and many other manufacturers. Today, we'll be talking about how Ottawa's largest projects are managed with Ottawa's largest telecommunication contractor, Fleming Communication Inc. I am very, very happy to host Alex Cao and Martin Brunet today, both senior project managers at Fleming Communication Inc. Alex, Martin, thank you so much for joining today. We'll be starting with very simple questions. Who are Fleming and, and what do you do? First off, uh, thank you. Thank you, Daniel, uh, for having us uh, on the podcast. And it's an honor to be the first to do the podcast. So thanks, thank uh, thanks very much. Um, and to answer your question, yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're a very, I guess, large company in Ottawa. We're, uh, we're 100 to 120 technicians um, with, uh, with amazing knowledge, um, you know, and we, we've been in the business now. I think Mike Fleming started the business uh, 25 years ago. We just celebrated uh, last year, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're a growing company um, that, uh, that's always looking for the next uh, technologies. We're, uh, we're a company that's always looking for the next things that we can do. Um, and yeah, we're just, uh, we're, we're just so happy uh, to, to be able to you know, offer these services to, uh, first of all, I guess, our government uh, uh, departments, uh, private uh, departments um, and, and, uh, in Ottawa and also customers around uh, Ottawa. Um, and yeah, um, our company is really divided in a, in a bit of a special way. Uh, Mike Fleming being the owner, and then we have four different, um, I guess, silos, and I call them silos, but they're really partners. Uh, and each of these partners have their own uh, clients and, uh, and they do the same thing. So we do uh, security, uh, wireless, and DAS, and obviously telecom. Um, and there's other also technologies along the way that are going to be coming but yeah we're uh, we're an amazing company and we're, we're still growing and happy to to be to be a part of this what are your respective role at fci uh yeah so my my story i guess is uh i i was i started as a student um i was a student i guess uh um doing working here uh, in the summers for at least uh, three four summers let's call it uh, and then I decided to go to a business uh, school. I did that for three years. And uh, after business school, I, I started in the role of um, lead, you know, let's call it lead technician and uh, moved up into the role of uh, elite uh, lead, uh, team lead, sorry, or project manager. And uh, I've been in that role for the last, let's call it seven to eight years. And uh, yeah, I'm now 31 years old. So it's been a bit of a, an exciting uh, couple of years for me, but uh, I've learned a lot and uh, still learning. Thank you, Alex. Yep. What about you, Martin? Well, first of all, thanks for having me um, on the show and uh, love to participate in these things. I've been in the, the communications industry for about 20 years. Um, I came over to FCI from a competitor uh, where I was a project manager there. Um, then I had a bit of a career change for a few years and I decided to come back to in industry and I joined FCI as um, IT director and a chief estimator for uh, large projects at the corporate level. So, and then um, just recently, a little over a year ago, I joined the same uh, silo or division that Alex is part of and I am now also a uh, project manager. Great. Thank you. Well, You've been working with Impact for quite a long time. We recently met about a year ago, as I recall. So our relationship is fairly new, but how did you first uh, started working with Impact? Uh, oh, go, go ahead, Marty. Okay, thanks, Alex. <laughs> um, mainly through uh, the, the Fluke uh, 
uh, testers. We purchase a lot of our fluke equipment through you guys. Uh, we also do a lot of our calibrations and training um, through you guys. We also deal with you when it comes to uh, Oberon enclosures, uh, CPI or chats work, um, cable management and racking, and uh, Guardian um, Guardian phone systems for um, e-tells and entries and stuff like that. Thank you so much for the, that answer, Martin. Um, but let's jump into the art of the, the discussion today, which is large projects. One question that comes up pretty often is, what are P3 projects and how do they exactly work? Um, okay, so essentially, P3 projects are public-private partnerships. Um, so in this case, obviously, we're a private, uh, private uh, entity and... Uh, we we have I guess this uh, this agreement with uh, with uh, shared services uh, slash Bell Canada um, to offer our services uh, for the federal government. Um, so at the end of the day, we're we're you know we're there to help with the design, construction, uh, finance, or operations of uh, of a project. Um, and yeah, we're 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 just you know we're the contractor, the main contractor in our case. Um, for Ottawa doing uh, most of these projects for the uh, for the government, um, and yeah, they're they're projects that range from a hundred dollars to uh, millions of dollars. Yeah, so and, and we're part we're part of the whole um, all all the stages, I guess, of these P three projects. Very interesting. And how did you get first involved in such big projects? How did we get involved? I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, it was uh, we, we had to, I guess, bid or we had to compete, I guess, to, to be um, in partnership with Bell Canada. Um, there was specific requirements to be part of this partnership, uh, which obviously we, uh, we, we, made, we, we passed. We passed the test. Um, so, so, yeah, we, uh, we had this, this uh, agreement built with them. Yeah. And, uh, Frequently, what happens is, is we, we get invited to participate. So we'll work with consultants and the, uh, the designers and things like that on these large partnerships, uh, simply because we've made a mark in the industry. We're, we're a known entity in town and we're a, a resource to a lot of our ongoing clients, like, uh, like um, Alex mentioned, Bell, for example. A lot of it has to do with the government and some other companies as well. But ultimately, we, uh, we have a lot of experience and we can often inject some of that experience onto the table with the designers and help these P3 projects along. Yeah. Currently, uh, what are the big projects you're currently working on? Um, yeah, so if I, if I may start, uh, Marty. Yeah, please do. Uh, I think you've got some yeah. good ones. You, you yeah, do. so the, uh, it, my, my biggest project right now is, uh, is Global Affairs Canada, uh, GAC, if you, if you may, um, which is a 10-year project, um, construction, uh, budget is a three quarter of a billion dollar, uh, just to give you an idea of the size of it. And um, essentially, yeah, we're, we're redoing, we're retrofitting and redoing the, the entire campus or the entire building. Um, so that, that's one of my biggest. Um, and throughout the years, uh, RCMP has you know, built a, a bunch of different buildings. Um, I, I have as, a, as clients myself, Transport Canada. So we've done multiple floors. Uh, CSC multiple multiple floors, HRSDC multiple floors. So, um, I, I guess yeah. All in all, every project is is rather large, but uh, global affairs is my is my biggest one right now. For me, it's um, it, it's it's one of the very obvious one in Ottawa. Uh, the one I'm working on is OLRT. Um, we've participated in phase one, and uh, we're, we're very hopeful to participate in phase two. We're definitely uh, participating in um, some elements of the design, um, at least as a as a, a word, but not really as designers. But it's uh, that's the one we got our big line on for me, anyways. It's a hard one to miss if you come to town. <laughs> Been working on that project for a while, right? And for these large projects, are usually the uh, solutions already in the project documents or you're also participating in designing the different solutions? These projects usually have a specification um, 
to direct the way the, the, the product is going to fit the, the needs of the project. Um, but it's very rare that a manufacturer is called out. Uh, it's usually more surrounding the requirements of the project. Um, and, and that's, again, because we're dealing with uh, the public, and in which case mm-hmm. it has to be a fair uh, chance for everybody to offer their, their solutions and their products as long as it meets the requirements. Um, and on your side as well, Alex, you're... Um... Would agree. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they. For my case, I guess from experience, SSC um, has their own designers, and they do most of their designs. Um, but for example, I can use GAC as an example. Um, I'm myself and Val are are and have become, I guess, consultants in a, in a way uh, to offer solutions uh, for for the customer with SSC's help. So it, every project has its its different. I guess, um, uh, structure. Um, but yeah, we, we also in-house, like Marty was saying, do our own designs and specifications, but uh, it's a case by case really. And how do you approach bidding large projects like that? Um, a lot of, of planning and breaking it down into um, small steps. Um, if you look at the big picture, it'll overwhelm just about any um, normal human anyways. <laughs> um, so you have to break it down into task and then um, either assign them to the individuals because often some of these are so big that, that there's multiple people involved and everyone has sort of their roles to, uh, to fulfill. And with that planning, everyone comes together and uh, then you, you can put it forward and produce results. So small pieces for, for everyone, good communication, teamwork and uh, staying on top of all of these small pieces that paint the big picture. That's right. Cool. For example, here at FCI, we have uh, multiple services and multiple experts to support those services. We do, we do a lot of security and that can lead to access control, um, intrusion detection, or even um, camera closed circuit monitoring. We can also offer services into telecommunications and in wireless, and all of those have different experts. Some of these projects that come through have multiple systems, and we have the the, the, the right expert looking at those different parts. You do have a very large team at FCI. I think you said over 125 technicians. That's just technicians, and then the office staff uh, were probably, what would you say, 30 30. Uh, in the office, uh, that's including, you know, finance, uh, sales, uh, um, wow. partners, everything. So, yeah, we're, we're let's say, 150 uh, total. Expert for each field. Yeah. yeah. And what made you the winning contractor for these large jobs? What's your um, secret sauce? <laughs> uh, 20, 25 years of experience. Wow. Um, <laughs> that, that helps. Um, obviously, uh, our knowledge, uh, we have an amazing reputation in the industry. Um, and, and I think one of the biggest thing is, well, obviously price, uh, everybody knows that, but, uh, I think the fact that we have an excellent customer service, um, because you, we all know, I guess, prop projects are not only, um, based on price. They're also based on experience and knowledge and, and a, a certain criteria, I guess, um, so yeah, so that, that definitely is, is our advantage at FCI here. Um, we're, we're all very competitive in a, in a sense, and we're all dedicated for, you know, finding success, um, for ourselves, obviously, and for our customers. So it's, a, it's a good combination. Um, and I guess I could add a, also while I'm thinking, um, you know, F, FCI being, being the size that we are, um, it also allows us to be able to deliver some of these projects. Um, you look at the two, two bobs in a truck um, of this world and, and they wouldn't be able to attack an OLRT project uh, because they wouldn't have the resources, uh, manpower, the finances to back them up, right? Um, so, so this is where I guess FCI is kind of ad- advantageous. So you've got it all, experience, customer service, resources, uh, staff, that's great. Uh, I don't like to brag, but uh, we, we are doing pretty well. Yeah. I think you are. That sounds pretty good. 
So going back to these large jobs, what are the challenges you commonly come up with the network in these large projects? And can you speak a little why do these challenges come up so often? Most of the challenges come up with uh, fulfilling the expectations of, of the standards. So following TIA, EIA standards. Um, when you get the document, you know, when it's when it's all theoretical, right? You have floor plans, you have your specifications and you, you know, you start doing these installations. It's all well and good until you get to the point where it's in practice. And then you have other systems like, you know, maybe it's electrical, maybe it's mechanical. Um, there's a the, the top of the ceiling is a very much a very busy shared space. And uh, it's basically working around and making sure that those um, those standards are met. How do you make sure these standards are met usually? With the right equipment, right staff, right uh, processes? I would have to answer yes to that question. <laughs> yeah. All three, the right staffs, because you, you need to have the right people with the right experience to, to even know to recognize these issues. You need to have the right equipment. In this case, we... Um, For the, for the most part, it would be with our fluke testers, and that's where we can validate that the cable was properly installed and meets the uh, the requirements of the spec. And um, that that basically sums it up. I mean, it's it's, it's experience and tools that uh, solves the day. So um, fluke networks, aversive platform for certification, yeah. and um, I think it's going pretty well, right? It is. Yeah, the aversive is a great tool. I'll usually, well, I think we went through that a little bit, but maybe we can expand on that. Um, next question is, um, how do you solve some of these challenges generically? And who do you reach out to or what is your thought process? For the most part, when we do run into an issue like this, we'll reach out to the, the manufacturers. Um, they, they have a large pool of resources that can help us. Um, so uh, that, that's usually our, our go-to place. Um, often also we'll reach out to our, our representatives. Um, for example, if it would be an, an, an issue revolving around certification, then we might reach out to, to Impact um, to help us with, with the fluke and figure out certifications. Maybe it's a bit of training is required or something like that. And in other cases, it's with the manufacturers. For example, if we have um, a, a last mile network connection <coughs> or an extension of a network or something like that where Uh, the manufacturer can come back and offer us uh, solutions that we can uh, implement. It's uh, it's not always easy. There's always some very niche applications. I rem I recall a few months ago, um, one of your colleagues reached out to me uh, asking how to do bidirectional testing on MPO connectors. And to be honest, it's it's not easy. There's um, special white papers you have to follow just to uh, be able to do that. And um, I mean, that's why we're here. About these issues, could you give some example of a real life issue that you have solved? Well, we've had some issues where um, cables that were originally intended to be, uh, let's say near the long end of what's acceptable, ended up being longer once the conduits were installed. And then we had to uh, replace some of the equipment with, um, With, with range extenders. Um, and that's usually using um, local power and uh, fiber with a, like a media converter, or basically it's like a, a fiber range extender. And that would have, uh, that comes in many different forms. But that, that would be an example. I think I've showed you that before, but we do have something that we represent from fiber connection and called the Camelon solution, which is a PUE extender, where you can extend PUE at up to five kilometers, which is pretty insane. Um, and that without the need of local power, uh, the remote location or uh, any kind of boosters, all you need is two meter converter and a hybrid cable. Um, so do, this is a solution maybe for the, for the future that could be interesting, installed all across the Canada. We do have a quick question here from the chat from Amelia Manarino. Uh, asking, could you please explain a bit about what the TIE standards are and what technology they apply to? Well, about that, maybe I can answer part of that. TIE standard is the North American standard for um, copper and fiber certification for uh, structured cabling. Uh, usually, um, the, these standards are uh, tested through um, 
certification testers, such as what I explained earlier, diversive platform from Flug Networks, and obviously what you've been using for years. Um, so uh, thank you for your question, Amelia. And just to add to that, I guess, uh, I, I don't know if all the markets are like this, but uh, I, I know in Ottawa, for example, for any of the government projects that I do, uh, it is essentially 100% of our, of, our, of our specs have the TIA standard as a requirement. Um, so it is absolutely necessary to have these fluke testers, uh, in our case anyways, in, the, in our industry. And I think very often they not only require a TIA certification report, but a Fluke Networks FWL file. Um, That's true. Yeah. Um, I'd also like to point out TIA stands for Telecommunication Industry Association. So uh, knowing that, you know right away it means telecommunications. True. For the next question that we have, um, Tell me about some trends you're seeing in network design for large projects. What? Um, some of the trends we're seeing is um, more cables um, going in. Always more. Yeah. I mean, years ago there was a there was there was a thought that wireless was going to mean um, the cables going to go the way of the dodo, but that was actually the opposite because then it meant we were installing not only cables but we were adding more cables to add more wireless APs. And now we're seeing a trend where there's more cables again as a result of this pandemic, actually. Um, a lot of products that were pretty much already on their way into the market got fast-tracked as a result of the pandemic. And that's really bringing in a lot of um, IoT um, sensors, endpoint devices, and things like that. So a trend we're seeing more and more of, for example, are um, occupancy sensors. Uh, to track how many how many people are in the building, you know, are you over capacity? Are you in a point where you're creating a potential risk for people inside, or maybe your store and you want to know where people stop and stand and <laughs> the product the longest? Oh, so, sound sound masking is another big one that we're seeing. More cable again. Yeah, um, and, and I I may I just want to add smart buildings. I guess is the is is where we're going right now. Um, you look even, I, I don't know if you mentioned this, but HVAC systems um, are, are now looking for, for these, uh, you know, low voltage cables to, to be managed by a switch, right? Um, Siemens has a lot of requirements from, from FCI to install uh, cables for them. Um, we also have, um, you know, uh, lighting, uh, low, uh, what's the, uh, well, the lighting essentially. So low voltage, lighting. Uh, what's that? POE lighting. POE lighting, that's right. Uh, that's another huge requirement uh, that's coming our way as well. Um, so yeah, smart buildings just in general is asking for more and more uh, low voltage cabling. And another thing we're seeing more, uh, it, it's, it's always been established in the industry, but it's becoming more important and more relevant is uh, cable management. And that can be as simple as, you know, uh, tray installation, J-hooks, uh, proper uh, racking cable management that can be in the uh, vertical cable managers, horizontal cable managers, chimneys, things like that, so that you have a nice, clean infrastructure with all of your cabling. So it's easy to manage, um, easy to coordinate, and it's easy to add when um, a new product, a new solution needs to be added. We have a question in the chat related to this topic from Eric Courage asking, what is the trend or trends you're seeing out there that it will have the biggest impact on your business over the next three to five years? Thanks, Eric, for your question. Hmm. The question. biggest trend I think that would have an impact on us for the next few years is probably uh, as a result of, of, of the pandemic and how it's, it's shifted a lot of how the market works. Um, we're seeing more uh, requirements for uh, telecommunications in the boardroom. Okay. Hotel in the next three to five years, that's what we're going to see more and more of, because now the, that small quiet room that used to be for those meetings for two or three people that you might have one if you're lucky in your office, you're, the, the future office is probably going to have a handful or more of them, um, simply because I think once even once we're over this, this pandemic thing, I think the awareness of social space is going to, um, to continue and be part of 
culture as we know it. Yeah, and and just just to add to that, we're also seeing a big a big push towards hoteling stations. Um, so offices that that are open just to not one specific desk. Um, it just it just everybody can grab whichever station they want and they work from there and and it kind of rotates and so we're we're seeing a big trend in, in new designs for for new floors being, I guess, thought out towards those styles of of installations. Okay, thank you for your answers. Maybe just one quick question again from Ernest Ling, I think is still a little bit in the same topic, asking on the impact you're seeing, especially for your business right now, is if you're finding a shortage in skilled trade workers, I think we all know the answers to that, but um, I'll let you answer the question. Yes. <laughs> yes, much, huh? absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and then it's skilled trade workers, especially in um, specialized systems, um, the security field, wireless field, um, and any other kind of ancillary system um, specialists are in very high demand. And uh, yeah, there's definitely a shortage. We're feeling it. Um, it's putting a lot of stress on a lot of the guys. People have to we have to work longer hours sometimes. Um, Projects need to be extended, things like that. So, yeah, there's definitely a shortage. Uh, we'd love to see more. If you know anybody, um, send us your resume. Perfect. <laughs> um, we would like a call from you, I think. Perfect. All right. So let's move on to the next question. So, well, this is kind of a simple question, but we do see um, more and more period devices being deployed and the question is, how do you test a PoE solution? How do you know that your cable do provide what you need? We don't frequently test the PoE solution. That's usually um, done either by the client or it's pre-calculated ahead of it going in. We can test it with the Fluke uh, and we can produce results. They're the, it's well within the, the range of what we can do. Normally, when we're deploying a cabling infrastructure um, it's mostly at the passive level. So we're going to be doing either a permanent link or even a channel um, test and provide certification. And that's pretty much where our testing usually ends. Sometimes we do some troubleshooting and we'll use our devices to make sure that the power is good. But most of the time that would come after the fact. And I think more this is more of a link IQ fluke product kind of question where are uh, the IT director or IT technician that's working on site has identified this issue and we're called in to uh, to repair. Usually, um, uh, well, from my knowledge, with the Link IQ uh, definitely will give you the, the um, result that you need. We'll give you the P-reload test, wattage, um, voltage, class from one to eight. But uh, with your fluke that you already have for certification, you'll be able to certify your cable for PoE through uh, one of the TIA um, test results. The, the test itself is called resistance and balance, and that is how you certify your cable for PoE. So you, you can already do that with your cable analyzers. Next question. So what are the modern day demand in structured cabling? Modern day demands um, of structured cabling, mainly, I guess it would be a performance. Um, so people, they, they, they want proof that it performs the way they, the requirement. Um, certification, again, following the, the TIA or fluke cable test reports, validating it. Uh, warranties, people want to know that, you know, they're, they're, they're spending big bucks on all of this copper and fiber to be installed in their walls and ceilings and that it'll, it'll be good for 20 plus years. They also want to be able to add or change as they see fit. So often uh, one of the modern de de demands, because in the past, sometimes, you know, they, 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 would, they would quickly deploy everything and there was no real idea of how big this was going to get. I'm talking years ago when I started. Now, there's constantly a new system around the corner. There, there, there's, there's always a bleeding edge tech or, or fine edge tech just around the corner. And people want to be able to integrate them, right? They want to have that flexibility. So one thing we're also seeing is more um, cable management 
and intelligent designs for the uh, the cabling infrastructure pathways. So, so that's tray, tray systems, essentially, right? Yeah, tray systems. So uh, conduit sizing with, with proper sizing. Uh, sometimes the initial project would come out and you, you'd, you'd size according to the demand. Uh, but now we're seeing things where maybe people will put an additional conduit or, or size a, a size one or two up. Yep. so that in the future they can add if they need to. So more flexibility, future-proof um, solutions, especially better design in general cable for cable management, example, better pathways. Um, and I think you do have our CDD, um, Fleming, a few special uh, structure cabling designers. And to... To your opinion, what, what are the nuances that makes a good structured cabling solution? We just talked about, you know, having future-proof cable management, all of that, but any anything we could elaborate on? Um, a good quality product uh, would make a good uh, structured cabling solution. So you want to have, you know, um, you want it properly sized, you want it, Uh, to allow growth, like like you mentioning future proofing, uh, you want it to be well designed, so uh, preferably reviewed by um, a qualified RCDD um, with experience, and uh, you want it to be accessible. You want it to be protected. You don't want to be hacked. You don't want to you know leave uh, any openings, and that can be done passively as well as actively. Um, and you want to be able to add on to it if you need to. Anything to add, Alex? Yeah, I, I guess uh, we, we've mentioned, I think, some of these things already, but uh, testing, obviously, uh, is one of the biggest things. Um, when it comes to fiber, um, I don't think we talked much about fiber, but we, we do more and more fiber in our, in our industry. Um, so, obviously, cleaning and the inspection of these, uh, of these uh, either mechanical or splice-on connectors um, needs to be done you know, uh, properly so that, uh, that, that is the, the qualities up kept. And also I, I just want to add, I guess, training. We never stop training. <laughs> uh, you know, all, all of our techs are trained and, and it goes with uh, specific manufacturers. Um, it goes with, with impact. It goes with, with anybody, uh, in order to be in our industry, we, you have to be training. Uh, so that's, that's one of the biggest things. Yeah. We're ultimately a service industry, and a lot of our strength comes from uh, our technicians, our, our, our team members. Um, so, you know, they, they, they need to know how to do it right. That definitely leads to a good structured cabling solution. And one thing also, you were just mentioning fiber, it made me think of something. We're seeing a trend going back a couple of questions. We're seeing more fusion, less mechanical. The... Um, Field installable connectors is, is slowly fading kind of the same way the, the hot melts faded eventually. I know they're still put in some places in legacy installations and things like that. But more and more, we're seeing uh, splice becoming the go-to method for termination. It, it's easier for a trained technician to do it, and you get a better result. You can generally expect a much better um, DB loss on a splice. Oh, much less, yeah, Core alignments, usually, you can expect... 0.00 or 0.01 by DB loss, which is yeah. well, well, well under a uh, 0.3 DB loss required uh, by TIA. To your opinion, what is the most important variables for your customers when you deliver a, a project um, or service? Um, yeah, so obviously um, we, we've talked about some of these things, but I, I think one of the biggest ones is service. And when I say service, it's the quality of our service, obviously, um, the efficiency and the knowledge. And I mean, we, we, we put, like I just said, a lot of efforts into our training. So that, that's the knowledge part and the quality, I guess, at this point. And the efficiency comes from, you know, uh, try, trying to, you know, communicate with our customers as much as we can uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, the projects are on schedule Um, you know, we have constant uh, discussions with them and, and it's not rare that I'm going to be, you know, uh, in discussions about one project every single day or multiple times a day with a customer to make sure that, you know, their expectations are met. Um, so that, that's part of the service. Um, obviously, a great design like we just talked about. I won't go into too much details. 
And I guess, I guess the biggest thing is, is sorry, I'll, I'll go back to the service being face to face to our customers. And, and in my, in my experience, my short lived experience uh, of, of eight years, um, I think face to face is what is what really keeps a customer coming to you. You know, you, you can do a project and just finish it and make a lot of money. But if you never follow up with that customer, you won't get that business again. And you may, you may, that's not true, but uh, there, there's more, it's more likely that, you know, a competitor is going to come and, and talk to that, that same person and he's going to choose him. So for, for me, and I think a lot of FCI's uh, team leads and, and, and uh, sales team, uh, we, we make it a big, big point and a big effort to be in, face, in, in front and facing our customers, I guess. You do business with a business, but really your work and you do business with people and maintaining yeah. these relationships is critical for uh, for your business and the um, making sure that your project go well transparency managing expectation that's that's great points yeah and networking isn't just cables and switches it's with, it's with people too <laughs> yeah i like that yeah we're, we're a communication company for a reason <laughs> <laughs> great communication yeah all right thank you that was a very good answer So we go back to the project we discussed, so the shared services, the government, OLRT, transit, etc. What are the current issues that you are experiencing during these large projects? Well, this, uh, lately, it's been um, the, the, the world we're in. Uh, with the, the lead times have been the worst, I think, ever. It's made the promising and delivery of projects difficult. Uh, where we used to have a, pro, uh, a price promise of about 30 days and a delivery expectation of uh, one to two weeks. It's now flipped on its head. It's uh, price is good for one to two weeks and the delivery is 30 days or more, yeah. a lot more in some cases. So that, that's probably going to be the um, the biggest issue. The other thing, and this is, this is a thing I think that's true of any company in high tech, and it is discontinued products. Um, things are moving at uh, lightning speed um, with technology con continuously moving forward and, and new products coming about. It's rare that a company will sit on its laurels and wait to develop something new. So sometimes it's basically it's discontinued products and then having to explain to a consultant a designer, <laughs> or a client that the product that they want is no longer available. But this new, greater, more affordable product is what they need. And the less product oriented is um, is the security. And we're in a world now where security is becoming more and more uh, paramount. And that's on site. That's electronically. That's social security. And uh, another form of security, not so much security, more safety is uh, the awareness on site. We have to be uh, we have to be safer. All, all of our technicians know to check their equipment, um, know to not do anything on equipment. They're not certified to operate. Um, so safety and security are two very, very big things. I know uh, we're, we're pushing to try to get our core certification to basically prove that we are doing our due diligence, that you know, no one's going and taking unnecessary risks, uh, that everything is calculated and that we're, we're making sure that the guys um, and, and ladies who work for us come have a successful day at work and, and go home safely to their families. Hmm. So I think you just answer, answered that a little bit, but if you could elaborate how, how you are solving these challenges that you encounter. Anything else to add? <laughs> uh, well, um, I do. I think I think Alex has a great answer uh, for, for this kind of question because I've had conversations about this actual um, question before. Um, but ultimately, it, it, it's planning. Um, but there's more than that. But I, I think I, I think Alex has nailed this on the head in a previous conversation. I, go ahead, Alex. Put me put me on the spot, eh? Uh, it was a good answer, and I, I think it, it it's mirrored here. I, I got to remember our discussion, but yeah, setting expectations. Uh, yeah, setting expectations. Okay, yeah. So so the biggest thing, yeah, for me is setting ex expectations with our customers, because um, a, a lot of the times, if you don't have that open communication with them. Um, you know, and they don't hear back from you, uh, it's very easy for them to, to start getting impatient, getting frustrated. Uh, but if you're there to, to let them know that, hey, material's going to be late. Uh, hey, uh, you know, 
three of my guys are not coming in. They have COVID. Um, you know, every time there's an issue on my end, I, I it's it's super important uh, to bring it up to my customers right away um, to make to make sure they understand where we're coming from. And sometimes it's hard to to come to them with those with those issues, but I, I think it's what makes a, a happy client at the end of the day. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Unless I unless there's something else, Marty, that I mentioned, but setting no, up has been has been huge yeah, yeah. setting expectations 100 yeah. percent. yeah especially in the in the new world where there's less and less factors that you control pandemic like you said never know if tomorrow morning there's going to be five technicians calling because i don't know the they met for a drink a few days ago and everybody caught uh covid at the bar or something like that everything's been closed um our lead time change that change all the time or a bunch uh, of truckers show up and lock up your city. Uh, oh, <laughs> don't tell me about that's that's something else. Uh, I think your technician stuck in traffic uh, on their way to a job, and finally, instead of getting there at one p.m., they get there. Uh, you know, they never get there. <laughs> They're just stuck yeah. for the rest of the day. So you just lost a day of work. Um, so again. Managing expectation and great communications are the key. And I think that's your secret secret sauce. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I may, I may add as well, proper planning. Uh, it sounds obvious, but uh, it takes a lot of time and a lot of uh, efforts to, to plan properly. And uh, um, without saying too much about our company, uh, you know, we have systems in place within our company that, uh, that make our lives as, as project managers a lot easier. Um, and it, it just alleviates some of these pains of working from Excel, for example. So, you know, planning properly, having the right tools will definitely make, uh, make projects much easier to manage. And experience goes a long way. Like we, we celebrated the 25th last year and there's a lot of, a lot of those people, uh, uh, FCI typically has a long turnover. People come here and they develop a career. So that 25 years translates into hundreds of years of combined experience if you're measuring by the individual. So often if we encounter something new, there's somebody that we can talk to that has done it before and will help us plan around it. Yeah. That's awesome. If I can go back to project management real quick, quick note here. Um, if you don't know, you have access to... Um, project management uh, cloud platform from Fluke Networks called Inquiry Live, where you can track uh, your different projects where, um, from a distance and download your test results uh, remotely. Just a, a quick note in case you weren't using that um, free uh, software. Anything else to add, guys, before we go to uh, question and answers? I think that's it. Cool. Perfect. So... Now we'll be answering some questions. So let's look at the questions here. Any questions you'd like to answer, uh, gentlemen? I like the one from uh, from Darren. Do you think Ottawa is uh, ready for large smart buildings? That is a great question. That is a great question. It's it's a it's a one of those discussion questions. I can sit down and and have a couple of meals with this question. Yes, I absolutely think so. I mean, Ottawa's finally, you know, breached the one million in population, um, and that's not including our, our 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 brother, our sister city. I don't know what you would call uh, Gatineau, um, but I, I think we we're, we're an international city now, and it's only going to continue to grow. the The city keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and, and more companies move here. So I absolutely think that we're ready for a large smart building. I think some. Builders and uh, and some companies and some clients of ours are striving towards that. So I would love to see more smart buildings in Ottawa. Yeah, I think we're going there. Yeah. And um, what about you, Alex? Anything you'd like to uh, add on top of that? Yeah, I was actually I was just going to question uh, Marty and and just just curious. What what do you think the government? Uh, do, do you think the government departments would also follow into, 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 into this trend? Because from experience, they, they don't seem, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but from my experience, they don't seem to, to be necessarily 
at the at the front of technology when it comes to these things. So I'm I'm wondering if that's if they're going to be delayed maybe by five five to ten years type of thing. I'm not sure. I think that's kind of the the typical thing with governments in any country. Um, the government usually lets the private industry um, stumble and develop the bleeding edge tech, even the fine edge tech. And then when it's yeah. products tried and true, that's when they move on it. Mm-hmm. There is one thing I am noticing, though, that the that are, especially at the federal level, um, an awareness on security that wasn't there before. I don't know what's shaking up the the, the government, but um, I'm seeing more of an awareness as to how to make our networks and workplaces more secure uh, from from various forms, whether it's through electromagnetic uh, securities or hacking or social hacking or things like that. But they're definitely moving forward on that. And in this, I think they are at the forefront because it adds cost. So when you're in the private industry, you try to keep costs as low as possible um, and you'll only spend money where the the, the security is absolute must which the government almost everything is and um but now they're 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 showing a, a very real push towards securing networks it's a good point very good point yeah we have another question from a linkedin user i think that's an interesting question are you seeing an increase in the required power that you might typically provision per cabinet as well as provisioning a redundant power, a common request. Personally, um, I maybe I can add something on that. We are seeing a lot of application where uh, redundant power is required, depending on the um, type of network. If it's just a small telecom room for a supermarket, maybe they won't need to buy PDUs, but um, most data centers or um, utilities gonna require uh, redundant power and maybe a UPS as well on top of two uh, PDUs. But, um, but you guys have a lot more experience than I do in that field, so I'd love to have your opinion. Well, I can definitely say that, yes, uh, there is an increase um, in the amount of required power, um, but mainly it's towards the intelligent management of that power. More and more, you're seeing PDUs um, sized for everything that's going in and then an additional for PDU for any potential future development. And uh, UPS, as if they're not already thought of in the spec and included, usually comes after the fact that they realize that how important that re- requirement is. Yeah. I'd, I'd say uh, 90% of every cabinet um, that we put out there that holds active equipment has a UPS um, included in it. Yeah. I concur. And a quick note, uh, CPI now offers UPS, and we do have at uh, Chatsworth Products a um, power management software called Power IQ to monitor uh, the power consumption of your PDUs. And depending on the PDUs, um, you can have that intelligence from the old PDU or per outlet. So what, um, do mean, what do you mean per outlet? You'd be able to monitor the power consumption of every single outlet or every single device plug into a specific outlet uh, through um, the um, some uh, of the CPI eConnect PDUs. Could you, just out of curiosity, could you use that intelligent PDU to connect, uh, let's say, dumb PDUs and track the power usage of those PDUs? I... If the outlet's the, the right one, I don't think I don't see why not. Okay. I think I absolutely think it will work. We do have another question from Amelia. What happens if you see a requirement for something like a UPS, but it wasn't in the spec? Will you propose uh, to add a UPS? Will you push it? That's a that's an oversimplified answer, but yes, <laughs> um, because uh, normally. Being a sub-trade, we don't have a direct line with the consultant or the designers. So this would be something we would bring up with the uh, the contract manager or the general contractor on the site. If we're dealing directly with the client, then yes, it's a direct proposal. But otherwise, it's something we bring up with uh, the company uh, managing the site. And then um, if there's merit to it, because sometimes there's planning that's already been taken care of that happens after the fact. And we're just simply not aware of it until the client moves in. But if it was um, something that was omitted, then we get involved. And based on their requirements, we'll put together uh, a product proposal. If it's accepted, then a, um, a quote 
and um, installation is coordinated, scheduled, and performed. We do have another question, which I don't know the answer to. Maybe you'll be able to elaborate on that. Ernest is asking if you think low voltage will ever be regulated in Canada like they do in the States. Yes, I think it will. Um, I think there's a potentially that the battle there is going to wage on for a little bit longer because the, and I, I don't know where this is at in the industry. I don't have a very good line on it, but I know that low voltage, um, it overlaps onto the electrical trades as well as the telecommunications, uh, which creates a bit of a, an, an impasse as to who's responsible for it. There's different opinions and different groups obviously vying with an interest for either side. So until that gets really sorted out or a decision is made at some level uh, that finalizes it for one side or the other, it's going to remain the way it is. I would like it to be uh, for telecommunications, <laughs> but I, I think I have a bias. <laughs> a bit. I have a question here uh, from a Lincoln user with no account. In the electric low voltage space, how often do you come across intelligent power monitoring and management? Seldomly. Um, and the reason for that is it usually comes as an after the fact um, thing on projects. So we, we see that very rarely. Most of the times the PDUs that we deploy have been pre-calculated and they're, well, I guess you could call it dumb PDU. It's not necessarily intelligent power management. Um, and that's what gets deployed. It's powering equipment. It plugs into UPS and the UPS may have some power management function. And it's basically just to regulate the power more or less, because uh, often these sites will also have large uh, power generating systems that protect the entire uh, building or campus. So we don't see that too often. I think that the intelligent power and monitoring um, space comes down more to the uh, the client's IT team. So that is the end of our first podcast. Again, Alex, Martin, thank you so much for joining today. This podcast will be available on our website at impacttechnicalproducts.com. will be available on our uh, Impact LinkedIn page. On that note, thanks everyone. Wish you a beautiful day and um, hope you enjoy uh, our first Impact Full Conversations podcast.